Susie Arnett is the Director of Wellness Programming at Six Senses Hotels, Resorts, and Spas, and one of the leading experts in the world on the topic of wellness. In this episode, you'll hear what she's thinking about in this area and the opportunities it's creating in hospitality today. Hospitality. 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 Hospitality brings people together. This is Hospitality Daily, the show that helps you stay informed and inspired each day by the most interesting people in hospitality. My name is Josiah McKenzie, and my goal is to help you reconnect with why you work in this industry and get fired up to go out there, delight others, and reach your goals. Let's get started. I want to read something for folks that are watching this. But you've written, as people return to the world, their expectations of brands have grown. They want to know their dollars not only make them healthier, but make the world healthier. Mm. Programming, whether virtual or in-person, transforms the best of your brand into an experience, bonding customers to you, building brand equity and loyalty, and turning transactions into relationships. I want to ask you, Susie, you have built an incredible career in media, in TV. You worked at MTV (laughs) and all these other incredible organizations before moving into wellness. I wonder if you could speak a little bit to your own personal journey, your career journey, as you were observing all these incredible things in the world of media. What did you see and observe that led you to move into hospitality and do the work that you're doing today? Right. I know. It sounds kind of funny. I came in so sideways, right? I didn't get my master's in hospitality. I didn't come up through the ranks at all. But I feel like the years that I spent in television are so valuable to the work I'm doing right now. And it's even funny. I was talking to Anna Bierstam, is the woman that I work for at Six Senses, who's our wellness pioneer. And she's like, I love that you come from a different place, that you think differently about this stuff. Don't get brainwashed by all the hospitality thinking out there. And so whether you're creating programs for TV or whether you're creating programming for in-person, you're always trying to answer this question about what does that target audience want? It's obviously a very different scale in television, but it's essentially, it's programming, right? It's kind of funny that I did such different things, but really with the same title. And I think it's always underneath everything I do, like what are the important needs right now? What's in the culture? What do people want? What are people trying to solve for themselves on a personal level? And so I think it's really valuable. And it's funny, like when I first got to the Omega Institute, so okay, so I had this whole time in television and it was a great time to be in TV and MTV was groundbreaking at that time because I'm dating myself now, but they were the first network to put the audience on the air. I don't know if you remember, but Spring Break and Beach House and all these things where they went and that audience, the people watching MTV were on MTV. Nobody had ever done that before. And that was huge. And that's why they created a movement. And this is before podcasts like you and blogs and all the stuff that's happening now that really is kind of an extension of that step where the people got to speak on the air before then, it was all one-way communication. It was like that old white guy at ABC was, this is what you're going to watch, and that's it. But it was like the kids had taken over the station, right? And they were telling you what you were going to see. And so I think it was super exciting in that way, and we felt like we were really changing, disrupting an industry. And I feel like that's very much happening in hospitality now in a way, because I feel like, I mean, wellness travel, being part of wellness travel, specializing in that, 
hotels have been transactional for a million years, right? And to take this stay and create a transformational stay is also a disruption to the industry in a way. And it's come out of spa, the people like Anna leading spots come out of people like myself coming from retreat centers into hospitality, especially luxury hospitality. It's come from just the entire wellness industry migrating from these kind of more out of the way places in the culture to the mainstream. So I feel like it's also a time where there's like a real shift taking place, which is exciting. And yeah, it's funny. I was thinking I was in Europe recently and visited our six senses properties in Ibiza and Duro Valley and Rome and Crown Montana. And it speaks to kind of what you were saying, which is that the stay itself has a voice and has a point of view. And I think this is what I love about the brand. And what I think when brands do this well, it's really powerful and distinguishing because the room kind of talks to you at Six Senses. And in Rome, like there's a handmade scrub in the bathroom, in the shower, and there's a little note from someone in the spa. The tone is so nice and friendly. Or at Duro Valley, they have a whole sleep box where everything in the box was made from plants grown in the garden on the property. So there's this constant reflection of values. And it's not just a room. And I think that's what makes brands different. And even if you don't do it, that's a reflection of your values too, of course, right? And so I think the wellness industry right now has kind of taken these square boxes and really enlivened them, brought them to life in these different ways by layering in these kind of wellness stories, wellness voices, wellness values. And it's been really great to be part of something like that and try and, okay, like how do we make that guest experience better, stronger, more effective, more meaningful, maybe deeper a little bit for the person who wants it or just more fun? I'd love to get into some of the practical ways this may look, but what your colleague mentioned stood out to me in the sense of don't get brainwashed by hospitality thinking. I was taking notes here. There's a couple of things you touched on, just viewing the hotel as a box and the room as these walls and a bed. There's a sense you mentioned of being too transactional. Is anything else come to mind in terms of maybe legacy hospitality thinking that might be holding our listeners back from what they might be able to do? I mean, I think there are brilliant minds in hospitality, so I'm not here to slag anyone. But I think what I've seen having come from a different world is that hospitality to be successful at the scale that it is, right? It's an enormous industry and there's huge companies in it. And to be successful at scale, there's a real... What's the business term where you have to break things into parts? Like a specialization or... Yeah, there's hyper-specialization and hyper kind of things are very much in their boxes. You have to have it. You can't manage the operations without that kind of order and structure and organization. So I'm a huge fan of all of that. But at the same time, when you're trying to do something new, that's always going to be the challenge. And that's true in any industry. That was true in the television industry. It's, I think, true everywhere. But I think trying to say, okay, let's do something we haven't done before in this container. Okay, this is how we do things. Of course, we need to maintain order here. <laughs> and so doing a retreat in a resort, that's different. You know, it maybe sounds like not a big deal, but it's a huge deal because it requires 
different kinds of people, it requires different kinds of tasks, it requires integration of F&B, of wellness, of rooms, of reservations, of everybody. It's a holistic experience on the property level. And so I think for me, it wasn't so much that old thinking that was interfering, but really for me being sympathetic and becoming more knowledgeable about, okay, what are the constraints here and how do we work with them so that we can have a successful experience for everybody? It's a good point because it sounds like there's a baseline of operational efficiency that has to be there so that you can be creative. It's not, let's throw everything out necessarily, but the grounds have to function. The brooms have to work. (laughs) There's a baseline, right? And then you can get fancy on top of that. Exactly. I wonder if we could bring this notion of programming to life, talk a little bit. You wrote this article around programming the day and how to think a little bit more expansive than just a morning yoga class or something. I think in that article, you touched on this notion where nightlife can seem on the other end of the spectrum of wellness. But it seemed in reading that article, there may be an opportunity to kind of dispel that notion and think a bit more expansively on how programming wellness might work throughout the day. I wonder if you could speak a little bit to that. Yeah, definitely. I think coming from television, I always think in day parts. I think about what are we doing in the morning and what are we doing in the late afternoon and what are we doing in the evening? And it's true. Typically, spas close at eight, maybe nine. And everybody's going out to dinner or they're going to a party or they're having a drink. And so I felt like the evenings and nighttime had become a like wellness ghetto. But I feel like there's beautiful practices. I look at kind of ancient practices that happen in the moonlight or on full moons around fires. Like So I think there's great inspiration in our ancestry as humans on this planet of how we want to connect and gather and be in the world. And so I love this idea of what else can we do in the evening, but you got to get somebody to be willing to show up, (laughs) you know, but I feel like the things that I've done in the evening have been really powerful. Just a little bit of a tangent, but when I was living in Los Angeles, I was very involved in the movement community out there and they would do overnight retreats in this one space. And so you would do a workshop during the day and then everyone would sleep in the space. And like the dreams were crazy. Everyone was having all these crazy dreams and you'd wake up together and then have some food and then finish the workshop and go home. But it was like, wasn't just in a box, your schedule. It was this whole experience that you had. So I feel like there's something powerful about the evenings and something we could tap into in the wellness community more. What I'm hearing from you, though, is not just expanding the hours that these offerings are available. There's a certain amount of matching it to the time of day and maybe creating some spectacle around it. I think in the article you had mentioned, I think was it Big Night Fitness that had sort of like a nightclub atmosphere (laughs) and is bringing some of that energy or the experience you described. So it seems that you have to kind of match what people might want at that time of the day with what you're offering. No, absolutely. There's a great example. When I was at Kripalu Retreat Center in Western Massachusetts, we had brought in a retreat leader and it's a dry campus. There's no alcohol there. And so we did a sober disco one night because we wanted to have the party on the last night. We wanted the celebration. We obviously weren't going to bring in alcohol for this one thing. And so people loved it. You know, it was like this great permission to just let loose without having to drink. So you're right, though. It's got to match the group. That group was perfect for that event. 
We'll be back after a quick break. Are you enjoying this conversation? If so, I invite you to text this episode to a friend or colleague as well. Not only will you let them know that you're thinking about them, but you'll help them as well. One more thing, I'm having a lot of fun right now sharing videos and photos from the stories on the show, so if you'd like to see those or watch along, open up Instagram and YouTube now and follow Hospitality Daily so we can stay in touch. All right, let's get back to the conversation. I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about space because the programming that you're designing has a big impact, obviously, on the guest experience. But in your writing and your work, I have also kind of learned from you that space itself can be the platform and how you design that space is really important. I wonder if you could speak a little bit to how we might think about design our spaces for meaning and for connection with our guests. Right. Well, yeah, it's so true because we've all walked into rooms and not felt good or felt kind of like there was nowhere to stand or nowhere to go. And so I think for communal spaces, being able to lay them out in a way that we can really find a center. And again, I'm not an architect or a room designer or anything like that. But I feel like when I've seen workshops in a retreat format, We typically go in circles or rows, or those are kind of all the basic ways. But I like what's happening in this space around, they call them these unconferences. I don't know if you've heard that term, but this idea that we're all leading this experience together. There's not one person in the head of the room and getting out of that again, that one way directional experience and into this omnidirectional experience where the whole group is part of it. And so I think open spaces where that can happen, where things can move easily. It's not like some conference room in the middle that you can't go anywhere, but where tables and chairs are light and you can really reset the space. Group can reset the space as many times as they want. I've seen that work really well when I've been in unconferences. So I think the flexibility is really important feature for that. Are there any other examples, maybe outside of hospitality, where you've seen space used really well? I want to help our listeners understand how so many have these beautiful properties, and I feel like there's this big opportunity to become the host for transformative experiences. But I imagine that you mentioned kind of movable chairs and tables and things like that. Is there anything you've seen outside of hospitality that might inform what we do in hospitality? Well, I think it's possible to leave, to put things in the space that are going to help people create connections, right? And so obviously you can't always move couches. You've set up a a reception area or a lounge space. And I like conversation cards. I like things that help people talk to each other because essentially bringing the space to life, what does that mean? It means helping people connect and have interesting conversations and find moments together, right? And sometimes people need help with that. And so again, it's not sometimes what's in the space, but ultimately it comes down to that. You can't set the chairs up in a way and then all of a sudden everybody's talking. Like something has to, there's got to be sparks in that room, whether that's a person facilitating that spark or whether that's maybe an object or some kind of products in the room that are going to help people get talking. So I think that's an important part of it too. I feel like there's things like public walls where you can write your experience, things like that, where I've seen those in different kinds of locations. 
Dave Asprey, who is the Bulletproof Coffee guy. And when he had the space in New York City, they had a great wall. It was like, how has Bulletproof Coffee helped me or something like that. But it was a wall where people would stand around and kind of write something on their museums do this all the time, which I think is interesting. And it becomes a point of conversation. I think that's kind of, you want to create those points of conversation. And I think it might even be in that article, but there was a beautiful exhibit at the Rubin in New York City where they had the hopes and fears wall. And it was just like a wall and you just wrote a hope and a fear and you put it up there. And it was so powerful because these two things are so connected, had never really thought about it so much before. And so these opportunities for people to interact with the space is, I think, where it's at. And that can be done in so many creative ways. I like the outcome that you mentioned of this creates conversation. You've spoken before about psychological ownership, and I, it seems this is also an opportunity to create a more meaningful experience for our guests. Yes. Oh, my God. That's what it's all about, right? Because they come and they're touched in some way, they're changed in some way, whether they're doing something or whether they do nothing, right? Because transformational travel to me is it's always a journey inward. You go somewhere, it's always a journey inward. And so that process of discovery, remembering old passions, remembering, God, I forgot I love this stuff. I haven't thought about this in so long. I hadn't had the space to think about this in so long is really key. And so I think everything we do is kind of about that on some level, or for me anyway, what I think is most important. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about what's on your mind, Susie, these days. As you think about wellness as such a broad area, I'm less interested in fads or even trends over even the next couple of years, over decades. As you kind of look at just where the culture is, where people are, where society's going, what's on your mind? What do you find yourself thinking about a lot in terms of where we may be going? And I guess how we as hospitality providers might arrange our businesses, our programs, our offerings to cater to this. It's a really good question because it seems to be going in so many different directions right now. And I think some part of what wellness is telling us about the larger story and the culture is that the relevancy of the medical industry is really in a nosedive right now, right? Like, why am I going to a resort to think about longevity or to look at menopause? Why don't I go to my doctor? These are medical things, right? But doctors conventional medicine doesn't have the kind of innovation in it that we see at resorts, which is kind of crazy, but amazing too, right? And so I feel like there's much more happening around personalization, obviously for the people who can afford it, like I'm going to take this into my own hands. And I think this is going to happen across the board at all levels, because with the internet and everything, there's a real democratization of that. So this hyper-personalization of what people are going to get, I think, is a huge thing that's happening. But I think part of it, too, is that obviously we always used to say in television, imitation is the sincerest form of television. And I think that's true in every industry, right? Like you do something and somebody else is doing it. We've done stuff at Six Senses and then other people are doing it. Other people have done stuff. We all look at what we're all doing. And so that's great for the guest because it just means there's more options for the guest. And I think what I hope is that there's going to be more options at different price points for guests, because I feel like wellness is for everyone. 
And personally, as somebody who's kind of, I have walked on fire, I have done every kind of wellness thing you could possibly imagine. And I love it all. But at this point, I'm really back to like wellness first principles. I am about sunlight as much as I can during the day. I am about movement, real food. It's kind of, that's what it is, right? And you can do all this other stuff. If you have issues, you need to do other things, of course, if there's health things going on. But there's a lot in this story that's really accessible for everyone. And so I feel like I hope that story can get out more. And I hope that we can make wellness available everywhere. And now I will say, I was in Italy recently and just looking for a transactional stay. We had a flight the next morning from the airport. We just needed a place close to the hotel. And so being part of Six Senses, I'm part of the IHG rewards program. And so we looked and there was a Crown Plaza right by the airport we were staying. So we ended up staying there. It was so nice. It was, the room was so comfortable. The breakfast buffet was amazing. And I was so impressed by what they delivered at their price point. It was such a satisfying evening for us staying there. So I feel like what's really exciting about how luxury has led this is that it really is trickling down. What hotel has those little plastic bottles anymore? I mean, remember everywhere you went had those before. And so I feel like that's just one example of how I think at any price point, you can start to up-level a little bit and create a better experience for your guests, no matter what they're paying. It's inspirational hearing that because it's something that opens up opportunity for all of our listeners, right? And not everybody is lucky enough to work at Six Senses, but even if you're a mom and pop hotel and you have this little 15-room property in the countryside, you can kind of think about how might I encourage my guests to get more sunlight, to get more movement and maybe offer things where they seem pretty basic, but they are fundamentally good for guests. Yeah, It's really kind of, I guess, exciting and encouraging to hear that. It doesn't need to be the most exotic programming. That is fun. It's interesting to experiment with that, but we should think about offering a baseline of just the basic wellness offerings, it seems. Exactly, exactly. It's funny, like one of the things I've thought about, we've talked about is incentivizing guest behavior. Like you talk about, we want people to get more sunlight. Where does that become controlling, right? And it's funny, at Kripalu, there was a sign when you drive into the driveway that's something like breathe or put your phone away or whatever. <laughs> people would hate that because they're like, don't tell me to breathe. Don't tell me to put my phone away. And so there are certain things like something I'm really interested in and I don't know how to do it, but I'm like, how do we incentivize kindness? That's so interesting to me on property. There's a great article I read in the New Yorker, and I think this was at Princeton University where they had actually like a kind of kindness captain. And so what happened was the woman in the cafeteria was like, this is Princeton. These are the most privileged kids on the planet, right? And they were like coming in and they're like so depressed and they're so anxious and they're so whatever. And so she worked with the administration and created these kindness captains. And they were just like, hey, how are you today? And they just brought this really great energy to the students. And then the students voted for like, who's my favorite kindness captain or something like that. And it was became a movement on the campus to a small extent that just really pushed this idea in a really positive way. And so there's something about that that's super interesting to me because we're a, hotels, we're a group of people in the same place at the same time. And how do we incentivize that? How do we acknowledge it? How do we reward it? 
when it happens beyond kind of just customer service kudos and the kind of things that normally we do in hospitality, which are great. But I don't know, this is something I think would be fun to figure out. Great hospitality providers know that every touch point matters a lot. So they spend a lot of time making sure that each interaction better serves their guests and makes life easier for their teams. If you'd like to operate this way, I suggest you check out Sojourn. They've built a reputation as the market leader in helping hotels and resorts earn direct bookings through digital advertising over the years. And more recently, they've expanded into offering a complete suite of guest experience solutions, including an AI smart concierge, reputation manager, and guest marketing suite. I've been working with Sojourn for years now, and everything from the way their technology is built to the talented experts they have on staff makes it no surprise that when I talk with people about technology, Sojourn comes up again and again. Hospitality providers love them. If you'd like to learn more about how Sojourn can help you better engage your guests and drive more profitable direct bookings, visit Sojourn.com. That's S-O-J-E-R-N.com. Before we go, I want to let you know about a few more things. First, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite app to stay inspired each day by actionable insights from the most interesting people in hospitality. Second, I've started sharing videos and photos from the stories on this show on Instagram and YouTube, so if you'd like to see those or watch along, I encourage you to follow Hospitality Daily there so we can stay in touch. Third, if you'd like to listen to more conversations like the one you just heard, visit this podcast website at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. I've spent a lot of time building out this website because I want to make it really easy for you to listen to the topics and guests that you are interested in, whether that's culture and leadership or operations or technology or something else. Browse and search the entire library of more than 400 episodes for some of the top leaders and innovators in hospitality at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. Com to get ideas for delighting the people around you and reaching your business and career goals. I produce this podcast each day and give it away for free because I want us all to learn and grow together. If you enjoyed today's episode, I just have one favor to ask. Please take a moment to text or email this episode to a friend or colleague who might appreciate it as well. They'll be grateful to hear from you and what we covered in the show can help them as I hope it helped you today. Thanks for listening and I'll see you here tomorrow. 